Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our interior lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Each season, we'll read through a great work, explain its spiritual principles, and help you apply its timeless wisdom to your life. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Confessions by St. Augustine. A few reminders before we get started. To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text CONFESSIONS to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. This is day 44. Today we will be reading Book 11, chapters 1 through 6 in the Ascension edition of the book. If you'd like to hear some of our conversations on other subjects, follow up with us and three of our brother priests on the podcast God's Planning. There you'll find weekly episodes on a variety of Catholic themes with occasional guests, scriptural meditations, and special series. You can find God's Planning with any podcast app on YouTube and at godsplanning.org. Before we get into the reading, a quick look at what we're covering today. So the first books of chapter 11 are sort of an introduction to what he's going to consider throughout the rest of book 11. Perhaps that goes without saying, but the chapters here, at least at the beginning, are kind of short and sweet, and we move a little quickly through them. St. Augustine begins by restating his intention in writing the Confessions, which is that others might be led to knowledge and love of God. And this is really our purpose for picking up the Confessions too, that we might, through Augustine and his journey, his life, be led to know and love God. And in that, he turns to a consideration of the very beginning of the scriptures, that is, the creation accounts in Genesis. And that leads us through a theme from the creation accounts that he picks up and that he's going to meditate on. And, and that's the theme or the idea of time, how God God creates in time, how he exists in time, and how we exist in time. So um, it's not time travel, but we're going to do a little consideration of time with St. Augustine. So before we do, let's get started with the prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Chapter 1 Lord, since eternity is yours, are you ignorant of what I say to you? Or do you see in time the things that themselves pass in time? Why then do I lay all these things before you? In truth, I do not do it so that you might learn about them from me, but rather in order to stir up devotion toward you, both in myself as well as in my readers, so that we all might say, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. I have already said and again will say, I do this out of love for your love. For we also pray, though your truth said, your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Thus our affections are what we lay open to you, confessing our own miseries along with your own mercies toward us, that you may completely free us, for you have begun your work, so that we might cease to be wretched in ourselves and be blessed in you. Indeed, you have called us to become poor in spirit, meek mourners, hungry and thirsty for righteousness, merciful, pure of heart, and peacemakers. See, I have told you many things, as I was able and wished to speak of them, because you first willed that I should confess unto you, my Lord God. For you are good, and your mercy endures forever. Chapter 2 
But how with the tongue of my pen shall I sufficiently utter all your exhortations, all your dire warnings, all your comforts, and all your guidance, by which you brought me to preach your word and dispense your sacrament to your people? And if I am equal to the task of uttering them, the drops of time are precious to me, and long have I burned to meditate upon your law, and there confess to you my skill and lack of skill, the daybreak of your illumination and the remnants of my darkness, until then infirmity might be swallowed up with strength. And I do not want anything else to steal those hours that I find free from the need to refresh my body and powers of mind, as well as from the service that we owe to other men or we render to them even if we do not owe it. O Lord my God, give ear to my prayer and let your mercy hearken to my desire, for it not only burns for myself, but also desires to serve fraternal charity. And you see that this is indeed what is in my heart, a desire to sacrifice to you the service of my thought and tongue. Give me what I might offer to you, for I am poor and needy, but you are rich to all that call upon you. O you who are free from care, care for us. Circumcise all rashness and lies from both my inward and outward lips. Let your scriptures be my pure delight, and do not allow me to be deceived about them, nor to deceive others through them. Lord, hearken and have pity, O Lord my God, light of the blind and strength of the weak. Yes, you who are also the light of those who see the strength of the strong. Hearken to my soul and hear it crying from the depths. For if your ears are not with us in the depths too, where shall we go? Where shall we cry? The day is yours and so is the night. At your command the moments fly by. Grant from them some space of time for our meditation upon the hidden things of your law, and do not close your law to those who knock. It was not in vain that you have willed that we write about such shadowed and hidden secrets upon so many pages, nor will the forests lack deer who will recover their strength therein, range about, feed, lie down, and ruminate. Perfect me, O Lord, and reveal their meaning unto me. Behold, your voice is my joy. Your voice exceeds an abundance of pleasures. Give what I love, for I do love, and this you have given me. Forsake not your own gifts, nor despise your green grass and its thirst. Allow me to confess to you whatever I may find in your books, and hear the voice of your praise. Drink deeply upon you, and meditate on the wonders of your law. From the beginning when you made the heavens and the earth, all the way up to the everlasting kingdom with you and your holy city. Lord, have mercy on me and hear my desire, for I do not deem that it is of the earth, nor of gold and silver and precious stones, nor splendid apparel, nor honors and offices, nor pleasures of the flesh, nor bodily necessities and what is needed for this life, our pilgrimage, all of which shall be added to those who seek your kingdom and your righteousness. Behold, O Lord my God, where my desire is to be found. The wicked have told me of delights, but not in your law, O Lord. Behold where my desire is to be found. Behold, Father, behold, see, and approve. And let it be pleasing in the sight of your mercy, that I may find grace before you, and the inner meaning of your words might be opened unto me as I knock. I beseech you by our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who stands at your right hand, the Son of Man, whom you have established for yourself, as your mediator and ours, through whom you sought us. Yes, while we were not seeking you, you sought us, so that we might seek you, your word, through whom you made all things, among which I too am numbered, yes, your only begotten, through whom you call to adoption those who believe, among whom I am numbered. I beseech you through him who sits at your right hand and intercedes with you for us, he in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. These are what I seek in your book. Moses wrote of him, as he himself said, he who is the truth. Chapter 3. 
I wish to hear and understand how in the beginning you made heaven and earth, as Moses wrote. But he wrote it and then departed, thus passing from here below, coming from you and returning to you, so that he does not stand here before me. If he did, I would ask him and beseech him by you to explain these things to me, and would turn my body's ears to the words that would come forth from his lips. But if he were to speak in Hebrew, in vain would his words strike my ears, and none of it would touch my mind. However, if he spoke in Latin, then I would know what he said. Yet how would I know whether he spoke the truth? And indeed, if I did know this too, would I also know that fact from him? Truly within me, within, in the chambers of my thought, truth would say, not in Hebrew, nor in Greek, nor Latin, nor in barbarian tongue, using no organs of voice or tongue, no sound of syllables, this is true. And I would confidently and immediately say to that man of yours, yes, you speak the truth. But since I cannot ask this of him, I beseech you, O truth, you who filled him when he spoke the truth, you my God, I beseech you to forgive my sins. And you who enabled him, your servant, to speak these things, enable me also to understand them. Chapter 4. Behold, the heavens and the earth exist. They proclaim that they are created, for they change and vary. By contrast, whatever has not been made, but nonetheless exists, has nothing in it that it did not have before, which would be to change and vary. So too they proclaim that they did not make themselves. Thus we exist because we were made. Therefore we did not exist before we existed, as though we would have made ourselves. Now the voice of these speakers is itself self-evidently true. Therefore you, O Lord, made them, you who are beautiful, for they are beautiful. You who are good, for they are good. You who exist, for they exist. Yet they are neither beautiful nor good, nor do they exist in the same way that you, their creator, are. In comparison with you, they are neither beautiful nor good, nor do they exist. This we know, thanks be to you. And in comparison with your knowledge, our knowledge is ignorance. Chapter 5. But how did you make the heavens and the earth? And what was your mechanism for fashioning its mighty fabric? For you did not work like a human craftsman who forms one body from another in accord with the discretion of his mind, which can in some way look within itself so as to find a new form to place upon a body. Indeed, how could he do this unless you yourself had made that mind of his? And he places a form upon that which already exists and has being in the form of clay, stone, wood, gold, or some other such thing. And where would they come from if you had not appointed what they are? You made the craftsman's body, you made the mind that commands his limbs, you made the matter from which he fashions anything, you made his power to take in his art and see within himself the form he will place in that matter outside of himself. You made his bodily senses through which, as though through an interpreter, he may convey his action from mind to matter and report to his mind what he does, so that it may consult the truth that presides over it, asking whether what he has made has been fashioned well or not. All these praise you, creator of all, but how did you make them? How, O God, did you make heaven and earth? Truly neither in heaven nor on earth did you make heaven and earth, nor did you do so in the air nor in the waters, for these belong to heaven and earth. Nor did you make the whole world from anywhere within that whole world, for no such place existed before it was made so that it might thus exist. Nor did you hold anything in your hand as a tool for making heaven and earth, for where would such a thing which you had not made have come from for use in making anything? Indeed, what exists but for the fact that you are? Therefore you spoke, and they were made, and by your word you made them. Chapter 6. But how did you speak? Was it like when the voice came from that cloud saying, This is my beloved Son? For that voice passed by and then passed away, beginning and ending. 
The syllables made their sound and passed away, the second coming after the first, the third after the second, and so on in order, until the final one came after all the others, followed then by silence. Thus it is clear that a creaturely movement expressed it, temporal and at the service of your eternal will. And these words of yours created for a time struck the outward ear, which then reported them to the intelligent soul whose inner ear lay listening to your eternal word. But it compared these words sounding in time with your eternal word in silence and said they are different, very different indeed. These words are far beneath me, nor do they have existence, for they are fleeting and pass away. But the word of the Lord abides above me forever. Then if by audible and passing words you declared that the heavens and the earth should be made and thus made heaven and earth, there would have been a bodily creature before heaven and earth were fashioned, and through that creature's motions and time that voice would have hastened through time. But nothing bodily existed before heaven and earth existed. Or if there was, surely you created that without speaking in a voice that passes away, the passing words, let the heaven and earth be made. For whatever it was would make such a sound, it could not be made at all unless you yourself had made it. By that word, therefore, did you speak so that a body might be made, so that these words then might be spoken. Okay, Father Gregory, I think we're deep enough into the confessions that we can begin to speak about tradition here, our traditions. And I think when we're starting a new book, I've been asking you, are you excited? <laughs> are you excited for this book? Are you pumped for book 11? I am, and in part because I'm a bit of a nerd, which in Dominican circles is a kind of good thing to be, or at least there's less shame in Dominican circles about being a nerd, since it is for precisely this reason that many of us have come to be nerds for the Lord in community. Um, because in books 11, 12, and 13, St. Augustine really nerds out in the sense that he gives himself free reign in his speculations about the first two creation narratives or the, the two creation narratives in Genesis 1 and 2. And uh, it's kind of wild. So he's going to entertain a lot of different options, a lot of different possibilities and like interpretive options, I suppose. So I find this to be quite delightful and uh, we're just going to get after it. Yeah, I think we should set our expectations right at, as we venture into these books. And um, one thing that we shouldn't think or expect is that his looking at these creation accounts in Genesis, as Father Gregory just said, are not a sort of um, scriptural commentary or exegesis, and it's not a kind of homily kind of thing. He's he's looking at the creation accounts and meditating, doing a bit of philosophical, theological thinking on sort of underlying realities or themes. So in book 11, we're looking at time, for example. So that might just, I guess, be prepared for that. The second thing too, I think, and perhaps I don't, I don't want to criticize, but it may come off as a sort of bit of a stream of conscious kind of thought process where he he's just meditating a lot on what it means, what it doesn't mean, what time is, what time isn't. But as we walk through together, we'll sift through his meditations and we'll be able to garner some helpful, perhaps, um, insight into St. Augustine, but also into the Lord, into our own life, into our own spiritual lives. So we're going to do that. We're going to journey forward. So, okay, book 11 starts with this sort of reminder or kind of signposting of what he's doing. And I think that's in, in writing the confessions. And I think that's important for us as we enter into these chapters to remember that St. Augustine writes the confessions to give an account of his life, but also through the account of his life to lead others to God. So we have to keep in mind, as we have been through these previous 10 books, that St. Augustine is, is drawing us or trying to draw us to God, to know him better, to use our intellect, to use our mind, that our hearts may be drawn to God. And at this point, he turns, as we've already described, his attention to the scriptures and to a consideration of creation. Well, we've been praying before each 
I guess, set of chapters. And it's interesting here, Augustine to prays before he turns to his like study of time. And he prays that God might give him mercy or shower him in his mercy that he might come to know the truth. So I don't know, I found that interesting to, to recognize that our sort of coming to know and being moved by God um, is also a mercy of God that we might come to know him. I don't know if I think of that in, of, of knowledge and coming to know in terms of, or with respect or in relation to mercy. So that stood out to me. Anything, I don't know, did that catch your attention? Anything else at the beginning, at the outset here? Yeah. When St. Augustine defines mercy, he says we can identify two aspects to it in our human experience. One, we see another person who is in a miserable state and we pity that person, right? So the fact that he or she is beset by difficulty or trial, temptation, whatever it is, right? It makes us miserable of heart, which is just what the word mercy means in its Latin rendering. And then he says the second dimension is that we act with a certain strength or with a certain providence towards that individual so as to alleviate their state of misery. Now he says in the case of God, there's not going to be the misery of heart peace because God doesn't have emotions. Uh, we can speak perhaps in another setting of our Lord Jesus Christ and how he takes our human emotions. But speaking of God, you know, the triune God, we don't say that God is miserable or that God suffers emotional change. But there is this second dimension, the second movement, whereby God in a certain strength and providence alleviates the miserable state of the one whom he pities. And so when we ask God for mercy, we ask him to pity our miserable state, which is a state of relative ignorance, and to enlighten us with the truth, which is ultimately the greatest of mercy to be afforded, namely the knowledge and love of God. And then he says that this will animate in us a similar mercy. Um, and you can think here of like Luke 10 or 11, wherever the Good Samaritan is recounted, when he asks, you know, like, who is it the one that proved a good neighbor? And he says, the one who shows mercy. And this is meant to animate us because it's Christ who's the Good Samaritan and that we who are conformed to Christ throughout the course of our Christian lives become good Samaritans in turn because we start out as the one who fell in among robbers who have been despoiled of grace and wounded in nature. And so there's this sense that the real, and we've talked about this previously, the real standard or norm for scriptural interpretation is love, namely the love of God poured into our hearts, the same love of God that we are meant to share with our neighbors. So you see that at work here in these opening pages. Yeah, and this it's into this mercy that St. Augustine turns or enters as he as he begins his thoughts on time, but continues his inquiry into creation, into God. And remember, too, that this has always been before Augustine, it's been at the fore of his mind. This is, he was looking to the Manichees to answer questions about creation. Um, he was looking, you know, all the time, and here he's, he's getting it from Revelation, or at least getting part of it. One of the things he, he wonders then is, how will it be that he will know what is true? even when it's presented. And that's kind of a question that faces us all. You know, it's like, yeah, the, it might be the case that X is true, but how do I know it to be true? And here he relies on two things. One, that like that his mind has been created to know the truth and also that God isn't a deceptive God. You know, God isn't coy. He wants us to know him and he wants us to know who he is and, and what the truth is. Um, and he also, St. Augustine also observes that things are made to give witness to the truth, to attest to the truth, to point us to the truth. So it's not as if we live, though we might not know everything, or things might be infinitely complicated or beyond our mind's capacity, it doesn't mean that they're deceptive. And I think that's, you know, we can rely on the fact that God wants to be known and that creation is made, and we're made to know him. Creation's made to direct us to him. So it's sort of a 
I don't know, setting out a, a little confidence there as he enters into something that is perhaps less crystal clear. I don't know if that makes sense or... Yeah, I think it's, it's fascinating. In these opening chapters, St. Augustine gives us principles that pertain both to God and to creation, principles for how we come to understand his revelation in sacred scripture. And the first is, with respect to God, we can actually share in the movement of inspiration. So we believe as Catholics that God is the primary or principal author of the sacred scriptures. We'll talk about this. The Holy Spirit kind of breathes into them the divine life. And as a result of which, we profess that they are inerrant. That is to say, they don't contain errors. It's not defined in a very strict way what that means by the church. But certainly it's been clarified over the course of like, especially the last 150 years in these different um, encyclicals, papal documents like Providentissimus Deus or like Divina Flata Spiritu, things like that, which you can look up. But we have a share in this uh, this gift, grace, charism of inspiration, and uh, because it pertains to the transmission of the sacred scriptures in the life of the church, right? Even in the reading of the individual Christian, uh, you might look, for instance, at manuscripts of the sacred scriptures if you're a paleographer, as I am sure many of you listeners are. This is like a paleographer's club, I know. Um, no, just uh, you can look at the manuscript tradition of the church's scriptures and just be astonished at the fact that there are so few errors introduced into the text by comparison to other contemporary texts. And mind you, you know, monks who transcribed the text would have been cognizant of the fact that they were dealing with something special. Uh, but also, we believe that God safeguards against the introduction of error. And I think we can you know, argue for a similar thing in our own life. So that's on the side of, of God, on the side of creation. Um, St. Augustine will talk about how like things testify to their creator. They testify to the fact that they did not make themselves, that they are caused by one, that they are not like in, in their limitations, the one by whom they are caused. And yet that the one by whom they are caused pre-contains or holds in himself every perfection which we can witness in the here and now. And so all of creation, in a certain sense, is testifying to the existence of God, to the goodness of God, to the love of God. And the sacred scriptures give us a, a vantage into that. So it's like God and creation give a kind of joint testimony to the meaning, the content, the richness of the sacred scriptures. And so it's as if God and creation are conspiring to help us in our interpretation. So it's not like the cards are stacked against us. They're actually stacked for us. It's just a matter of our picking up those cards and, and playing them. Yeah, and that's sort of we. I mentioned like having expectations or proper expectations of what we're doing with, or what we're approaching with Saint Augustine's reading. I think it's also the same could be said of you know what we are able to know. You know, we ought to expect that God will lead us. That God has created in such a way not to frustrate our desires to know, but to fulfill those desires to know. So Augustine here at the outset makes this sort of what observation plea uh whatever it might be attests to this to this fact that we ought to be confident in our ability to investigate even complicated realities or realities whose fullness might escape our mind so he finishes these chapters here by turning back or beginning to turn to uh creation and and reiterates the fact that god doesn't create from something that already exists, but through his word. The, we are, in the tradition, we talk about God creating from nothing as ex nihilo, from nothing. Um, not that there was some sort of existing thing that God took and created from, you know, it's not like there was a ball of clay that he used or sort of a metaphorical ball of clay, but creates out of nothing and does so through his word who is Jesus Christ. Um, not a spoken word in the sense of the voice that I'm speaking now, but the divine word, the second person of the Trinity. We can think here of the prologue to the Gospel of John that we talked about a little bit ago on the podcast. So 
it kind of sets us up. These chapters are propedeutic or set us up for what's to come, you know, confidence in what God is doing, begging his mercy, reminding us that God creates out of nothing through his divine word. And as we continue on in the chapters, we're going to look at this sense of time in what does God and what sort of time does God create. So we'll pick up there tomorrow. Join us then and it'll get interesting and it'll get groovy as Father Gregory might say. I don't know. But in the meantime, know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics. Thank you.